0: Thank you for your time, your attention. We're going to begin uh, with a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity we have that we can worship you. Thank you, Lord, for the helping us through technology problems and issues so that we can share the word with others. We pray, Lord, that you would help us as we uh, pursue uh, the knowledge that you have in your word. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. What I was saying a few moments ago when my sound wasn't working was that uh, the name of our ministry is The Battles Within, because the key to victory in a Christian life is fighting that battle within us. You know, it doesn't matter what the world does to us. It matters what we, how we respond to the world. God gives us His Word. He gives us His Holy Spirit to help us fight those battles. I'm currently working on a message right now that I'm going to be preaching, I believe, in a couple of weeks at Corinth about Baptist Church, in done and and it's going to be entitled what's in your bag and uh, it's related to i don't want to steal my thunder on that but the point is how do we we have to find those tools those instruments to help us fight the battle within us well today's lesson we're going to be talking about how god uses everybody god is not a respectable person he uses everybody and we're we focused a couple of weeks on women how Jesus used women in the ministry, which was kind of unusual in his day. Well, we're going to focus again on this uh, as as the writers of our lesson today goes through that. So let's get started. Find my stuff as we begin. Okay, uh, you know, we um, you know we hear the names of Peter and James and John and Luke and Mark and all the other disciples, but as we mentioned before, there are also women mentioned in the ministry of Jesus. So today, we're going to take a look at a few of these situations uh, where women are talked about in Jesus' ministry, and they play vital roles. Where men failed, these women picked it up and moved forward, Uh, and so we're going to talk about that. A little background you know Jesus became well known in Jewish villages and towns of Galilee because that's where he was somewhat from, right? He was from the town of Nazareth in Galilee, and he traveled among the people. and Peter states in his sermon on the Mount of the Day of Pentecost in Acts chapter ten, he says, "God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good." and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him mark states that jesus ministry included teaching healing and casting out demons in mark 1 14-15 says jesus came into galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of god and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of god is at hand repent ye and believe the gospel In verse 34 of that same chapter, he says, And he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases, and cast out many devils, and suffered not the devils to speak, because they knew him. See, this is what we see Jesus' way of doing his ministry. We know Jesus traveled in large groups. We know the core 12 disciples carried with came with him, but there were also other men that were involved, not just the core apostles, but there were other men. But there were also women. See, uh, the opportunity for women to play prominent roles in Jesus' ministry made his ministry somewhat unusual because we know that Jerusalem had no famous women rabbis. We know the Jewish high council, the Sanhedrin, had no female members. We also know that the Sadducees and the Pharisees were made up of all men and no women. So we see women did not have a prominent role in the Jewish religious group or in their society as a whole. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. We talked about how the Roman Empire and the Grecian Empire influenced the use of women. Well, again, so we're not going to go into that again, but... uh, it's interesting though that these women travel with Jesus. Now, you know the the false religious crowd accused Jesus and his disciples of many things. Many things. They accused them of drunkenness, they accused them of sabbath breaking, they accused them of blasphemy, they accused them even of using Satan's power to do the miracles. But it's interesting that they never, anywhere in the scripture, ever is there any accusation regarding sexual immorality while they ministered together. Women were clearly involved in this ministry, but never was there any even accusations that that these women were not treated with utmost respect. Uh, There was no accusations of that whatsoever, which means there couldn't have been anything that even looked shady. Because you know how society is today. People say, you know, we need to avoid all appearances of evil. Be careful what you do. The little song we sing in children's church. Oh, be careful little eyes what you see. Because other people see things. They see what we see. And uh, therefore, we need to be careful. That's why be careful with your testimony. Don't do things or go places or be with people. That, that that doesn't represent God, because that becomes detrimental to your ability to witness to others. But here we see there was never any accusations whatsoever of that. So let's look in uh, our passages today that we're going to cover. The first part we're going to cover is going to be uh, so looking at some of the women that are in Jesus' ministry. And we're going to look in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Verse 1 says, and it came to pass afterwards that he went throughout every city and village preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. You know, this kind of pretty much summarizes Jesus's strategy, at least for his near future at that time. Number one, he continued preaching and teaching in Galilee. Galilee was a pretty big place, pretty well populated place. It's kind of the suburbs of Jerusalem, you could say, you know, it was... It was out there where the, the farmland, and there were some cities, and because there were like Capernaum and all, there were some pretty big cities. So we see that he went. Through, he went throughout every city and village. You know, we know the cities were the larger populations, where uh, they had markets and where the government officials were. That's in the cities. Villages, you know, were small clusters of homes where people who worked to farms, you know, perhaps merchants or craftsmen might have been there. You know, it's kind of like today, if you live in the city, the big city of Smithfield, where I live at, we have like 11,000 people, it will soon grow very rapidly, we know that we've got major uh, uh, housing developments and other things coming to, to the town of Smithfield, it will grow, but it's a city, it's a town right now, but we also have, there's community villages, like you go to Stancil's Chapel or, or Shoe Hill or somewhere like that. these are small communities that may or may not have even towns some of these small communities do have convenience stores and, and i don't know about y'all but in our community if they can pop up a, a family dollar store they're going to we got them grow our dollar generals sorry, dollar generals they're growing all over the place in these small villages because their marketing scheme was that these small communities also need to have stores and merchandise and retail And so those little stores, though, they sell food, they sell groceries, they sell everything. But it's small villages. These are small clusters of homes. So there's a difference between the cities and the villages. But Jesus went into all of them. He went into the cities and into the villages. Because one thing that both of them had was they both had synagogues. This is true in these communities. Most of the time, these communities will have uh, churches. They'll have a church that's associated with those communities. You are talking about little Little intersection of Shoe Hill. If you've ever been to Shoe Hill, there's a little intersection there. Really, that there's not much around it. There is a little store there on the corner. But they have uh, Faith Thrill Baptist Churches over there on the corner. Not far, right right there at the corner. So again, that community has a church. Stancil's Chapel is a community. Well, as a church, called Stancil's Chapel. <laughs> See, these communities typically have a church. Well, in this day, Jesus' day, these communities had a synagogue because the Jews still needed to worship. So then let's continue on. It said, Preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. So there's three forms, three forms of, of Jesus' ministry. First of all, he taught by using parables. Luke chapter 8, verses 4, which is the next verse, is not really part of our lesson today, but it says, And when much people were gathered together and were come to him out of every city, he spake by a parable. So Jesus used parables in his teaching, applications, stories that could be applicable to people that's a good method to use by the way when you're witnessing to somebody you're just using stories of the bible but if you can use if you can use some real life applications you know whether or not they represent some real person or not but real life applications are things that could happen These are examples of things that we use. Well, let me give you an illustration, we'll say, right? So parables are kind of like illustrations. They they emphasize a spiritual truth behind their message. Second, he demonstrated the nearness of the kingdom through power over demonic forces. He demonstrated that we are in a battle. You know, we're in a battle. The battle is between the forces of good and evil. We see that in our politics, don't we? Those people that would be in favor of murdering unborn children and those who are against unborn murdering unborn children. This is the forces of good and evil. To kill unborn babies is one of the worst crimes you can do. I mean, how can you justify murdering unborn innocent children? That's evil at the utmost. I would say demonic evil. Uh, there's a difference between good and evil. We see perversions at the utmost levels. This is evil. And those who fight against it, good versus evil. We know we're in a warfare between good and evil. Well, Jesus demonstrated this nearness of this kingdom through his power over these demonic forces. How he was able to cast out these demons out of these people who were possessed by these evil spirits. Lord knows today we need some evils, we need some 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 casting out of evil spirits. I know there's some people in government that are controlled by demons because there's no way they can have this perversion view of life without being controlled by Satan himself. You understand what I'm saying? It is sad. The world we live in today in America, the land of the free, the home of the brave, as long as you believe my way, as long as you say the things I want you to say. Folks, let me tell you today that we live in a day and time where it could be within the next few years that it becomes difficult to preach the gospel on the internet, broadcasting the gospel. We have these companies that are shutting down these accounts because they don't agree with you. See, they could cut me off on Facebook because they think that if they think that what I'm saying not meeting their needs. If I say that they are, they think that I'm provoking uh, 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 views of government because uh, anti views of government because I'm against abortion, because I'm supporting one religious belief over others, they consider it hate mongering. The world we live in today is controlled, unfortunately, by demonic forces, and we must fight that battle. But again, the battle's within us. How we respond to those things. Do we stand up in face of that? I digress. But Jesus demonstrated his power uh, over these demonic forces. We can do the same thing by standing strong to these demonic forces in our society and in our religious government, in our governments today. Third, he performed miraculous healings, even raising people from the dead. He showed his power. And then it says that the 12 were with him. Well, the twelve refers specifically to those twelve apostles. They were with him, seeing him do those things, because he knew these twelve needed to go out and lead the pack after he was gone. They had to lead it. Well, eleven, because he knew Judas wasn't going to do it, he knew Judas was going to betray him, because he knew from the beginning, the Bible says, he chose him knowing that he would betray him. But he knew these men needed to know the truth to be trained, and so he demonstrated his power to them. Verse 2, and certain women, which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils. And certain women. Women were always included in Jesus' travel team. Now, there's no doubt that these women ministered to other women who came to the ministry because it would be inappropriate necessarily for men. As we saw uh, uh, recently in the lesson that we talked about the woman at the well, it was, it was not common practice for men to be speaking to women in public. And therefore, these women could be ministers to other women. Because no doubt women came and were being saved. We know that. We see these here. So it was not unusual. So therefore, no doubt these women had an active ministry and ministering to the women. They also probably handled some of the cooking because, I don't know about you, but Most women cook better than men. Not not, not always true. Now, I'm I'm a pretty good cook on some things. My wife cooks things better on some things than I do, and, you know, we share the stuff, but we're in a modern society. Back then, though, women did most of the cooking, and so it would not have been surprising to see women weren't handling some of the cooking, but also they no doubt handled some of the organizational logistics. My wife handles organizational logistics for me. I mean, she does our budgeting and keeps up with that, And other things, she keeps the household, she buys our groceries, she keeps track of those organizational things. So no doubt, these women that were involved in this travel team took care of a lot of those things on a day-to-day basis. Uh, The verse also clearly focuses on one specific woman, because it uses the word certain. There was a certain woman. It says, which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary Magdalene. So let's look at Mary Magdalene. I think we've talked about her before, but let's focus on her again. First of all, the name Mary is a form of the name of Miriam, which was Moses' sister. So Mary is a name of Miriam. Now, Mary was a Jewish woman from the fishing town of Magdalene. This is on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. And so therefore, her nickname, Magdalene, simply refers that she was from the village of Is Again, it's near the Tiberias on the western coast of the Sea of Galilee. You simply say, where's she from? You know, it's like they want to say, uh, uh, hey, that's David from Joko for Johnson County. You know, that's what David Joko, because you know if we had multiple Davids. Then, how do you identify them from me for another? Um, sometimes, that's how people get their nicknames. Just uh, so David number one, David number two. You know, they affiliate. <laughs> well, then Mary's day, she was Mary Magdalene because she was from Medallia. not trying to say anything derogatory about it, just that's where she came from. Her name is mentioned 12 times in the Gospels. That's more than any of the apostles, than most of the apostles, that is. Twelve times in the Gospels, more than most of the apostles' names were mentioned. Luke and Mark recorded her uh, healing of the demons from Mary's life in their Gospel account. So Luke and Mark recorded the healing of the demons in this Mary's life. She must have suffered from some type of um, emotional or psychological trauma that Jesus saw, that know that she needed to be exercised, that these demons were possessing her. Now, the number seven, interesting enough, has always been used as completeness. So, there might not be that she had seven demons there. She may have more than that. Because remember, the one guy had legions of demons. The, the, The thing about the term seven could mean, instead of literal seven, it could actually mean that she was completely Absorbed by this demonic power, that she was consumed by, because it's completeness. So she had seven devils removed. She had complete. She was completely dominated by demonic forces. That's what it's trying to tell you. She was completely dominated by demonic forces. Um. So Jesus healed her from this complete control. Jesus can heal you today. If you think that the, that Satan has control in your life, if you're not saved, he does. You've given him the keys. You've allowed him to control your life. If you're not saved, you're lost. If you're not right with God, you're wrong with God. You understand? It's pretty simple. It is black and white. It's not gray. Well, I believe in God. Have you accepted him as your personal Savior? If you're not, you're controlled by Satan. Well, I read my Bible, and you can't read the Word of God without the Holy Spirit revealing to you what it's saying. If not, it's just words on a page. See, the Holy Spirit has to control you. If doesn't, Satan controls you. Satan was controlling Mary, completely to the point where she could not control her life. Who knows what sin she was involved in because of the demonic powers that Jesus pulled her out of, etc. Can you imagine the relief, the 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 love that she had for this man? who made her right again, who took her out of this depressed sin that she had no hope in. Can you imagine how much passion, love she had for this man, for what he did for her? Should we not have that same passion as Mary had for what Jesus did for us? Because without him, we're lost sinners. We have no hope. We are depressed. We are possessed By sin dominating our lives, we still battle with that sin every day, but we have a Savior who is willing and ready to forgive us our sins and to restore us day to day to day. But if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you don't know what I'm talking about. Sin dominates your life. You're depressed with it. You cannot live this life happily without knowing Jesus because death is coming. I'll be 61 years old at the end of this month, and I will tell you what, I don't know how much longer I have in this lifetime. Not that I'm morbid. My wife always thinks I'm morbid because I talk about death. But I'm not afraid of death. I don't want death to come today because I have my daughter, I have my wife, I have my family. I have things I want to accomplish in this lifetime. So I'd like to wait a little longer, but let me tell you, when my eyes close in death, it opens in the presence of Jesus, and that's far better than what I have today. But the point is, there's one thing for sure. Jesus said... The Bible tells us that that it's appointed man to die and then the judgment. We live in life, we live life in knowledge of knowing that Jesus Christ is our savior and we have a home with him above or we live in that dread and awesome fear of the next step. So Mary now was relieved. (laughs) She had been cured, she knew. She had the Holy Spirit. Well, she didn't have the Holy Spirit yet, but, but she knew this man, this Savior, had redeemed her, had taken away this demonic power that dominated her life, and she was now free to live her life under the knowledge that he that, that of the Savior. She was a this she was honored then. She was one of the followers that included in all four Gospels. Mary's name is included in all four gospels. She was documented eyewitness to Jesus' crucifixion, his burial, and his resurrection. What an honor for Mary Magdalene, Mary of Magdala. Verse 3. And Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod Stewart, and Susanna, and many others which ministered to him of their their substance. So we see more women are mentioned here. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod Stewart, Joanna likely... She had resources to contribute. Uh, the cost of traveling, what well, cost travel, it cost food. You weren't working, you weren't making money, you were spending money. It still took time and effort to spend to buy what was needed, the daily supplies. Her husband, Cusa, uh, served as the, the Galilean, served the Galilean governor, Herod Antipas. Antipas. And therefore, it was probably a, Pretty trusted position, and he probably had an excellent salary. No doubt, Joanne also knew what was going on in government because no doubt kuza told her what was happening, where the problems were, and that also perhaps helped guide and direct them where they would go. If there was a there was a skirmish going over here, then maybe we want to go over here, minister, not go over there where that skirmishing is going on. You know, I mean, if there's problems, so they knew what was happening. Perhaps they knew about building projects and knew where the new communities were. The new suburbs were being built up, and knew where to go to start their new ministry. It says, "And Susanna." Now, interesting enough, this is the only time ever that this woman's name is mentioned. It is never mentioned anywhere else. But it's interesting that why did so? Why did uh, uh, Luke decide to include her here? Because she was important. She played a vital role in the ministry. How? We don't know. We know she provided and she served as a major part. Uh, Include Your Name, by the way, gives us an example that everyone's work is important. Everybody's work is important. Those things that you don't see done at your church or in your ministry behind the scenes, they are important, you know, and they should be recognized not just the people that stand in the limelight, not just me who stands here proclaiming the truth on this internet, but those that come behind me, those who work to help make this happen. Those are the people that we should be honoring too. Uh, I owe a lot to my wife to help me, that helps me do things. and She has to listen to my <laughs> my presentations and, and help me with the purchasing of all the things that we do and guiding and helping me do those things. And I appreciate that. I appreciate those that are that join us every Sunday morning and pray for our ministry. Thank you for that, because without you we couldn't be we couldn't reach out to the people that we reach out to. We thank you for being here. We we we, we thank you for your sharing our messages on Facebook with other people. Thank you for liking our stuff that's important to keep our ministry going. So we thank you for that. But it says also and many others which minister to him with their substance. So Remember, giving to God's work is always an important part of participating in that ministry. Example is missionaries. We have a part in those souls that are saved in foreign lands because we contribute to that work. Because if it wasn't for us contributing money to those missions, it could not go. If they can't go, people can't hear. And if people can't hear, they die in their sins and go to hell. So you see, through our ministries of giving... Through your ministry of giving to, giving to God, you are having a major part. And that's what he says here. Let's go on to verse Mark 15 and 40. It says, There were also women looking afar off, among whom was Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James the last, and Joseph, and Salome. There were also women looking afar off. This passage comes from the crucifixion. So we jump now to the crucifixion of Jesus. All the disciples think like John, except for John, had uh, abandoned him. But these women had not. These women watched from afar, from a farther position, but close enough that they could see their Lord hanging on the cross. Now these women may have indeed have come, gone up to the foot of the cross and back and forth, because they were supporting Mary. They were Mary. Some of them were Mary's sister. We'll see in a minute. Uh, And they were supporting Mary. They were coming and going back and forth. Now, maybe that they couldn't handle much because I can only imagine the scene, but they were going back and forth, it appears. It said among whom was Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James the Less and Joseph and Salome. These, so they specialize three women, Mary Magdalene, we've already talked about her. And uh, she perhaps was the leader of this group that was dedicated to him because her name is mentioned first, but the second Mary is identified by her son, James the Less. Now, likely, this is the son of Altheus. He's mentioned in the apostles list. James the Less, son of Altheus. Mark chapter 3, verse 18. And the phrase, the Less, simply means that he wasn't he wasn't uh, 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 the more prominent apostle, James, the son of Zebedee. So this was not the, the James, the son of Zebedee. This was a different James. Now, the third person mentioned is, uh, is uh, oh, that, let me talk again about that Mary. That Mary also, not only was she uh, the, the mother of James, but interesting enough, she also was probably the mother of Matthew. So James the last and Matthew were probably brothers because we know Mark 2, 14 says, and he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Altheus sitting at the recipient cussed and said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. This Levi is Matthew. So we know that Matthew is the the son of uh, this Mary, the son of altheus, and so is James the less. So they were no doubt brothers. Interesting little thought there you read when you read the Bible and understand things. The third person that was mentioned is Salome. Salome is probably the mother of the Zebedee's children. We know in... Uh, uh, Matthew 27, 56 says, Among which was Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of Zebedee's children. So we see in Matthew's account that it talks about Mary and the mother of Zebedee. So it had to be Salome, because she was the only one that was not mentioned by name. Now, by the way, that would make this Siloam also the mother of James and John, the apostles, and then probably Mary's sister, Mary the mother of Jesus' sister. So Siloam was Jesus' aunt, Mary's sister. No doubt Mary's sister would have been there comforting her sister during this death of her son hanging on the cross. Now, these women did not believe that their responsibility to follow Jesus was only during the good times. They remained with him during those dreadful hours, watching and waiting for an opportunity to minister to the Savior one more time. Uh... They no doubt were already gathering the necessary spices and materials needed for his burial. Knowing the Passover hours were coming quickly, approaching, and they would need to be hastily put something on his body. These women were ready in the hard times and the good times to meet the Lord's needs. Now we're going to go to the last part of our passage. Uh, We're going to jump over to John chapter 20. Verses 10-11 says, Then the disciples went away again unto their own home, but Mary stood without the sepulcher weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. So we see this scripture is now taking place on the morning of the resurrection morning. Mary Magdalene was the first to go back to the tomb, and as soon as she, she wanted to go back as soon as she could. So as soon as daylight dawned, at the crack of dawn. She went back to see if she could still serve Jesus in whatever way was needed. She was willing to do whatever. You know, even though he may be dead, she was going to do what she could do for him. Because she owed him everything. Isn't that something we should think about? What do we do for Jesus? Don't we owe him everything? Anyway, when seeing the tomb was open, she looked in and the body was gone. She's looking at it and telling her body was gone. So John 21 and 2 says, The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulchre, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid him. So she gets there first. She looks, the tomb is open. She looks inside. Jesus is gone. And immediately she runs and tells Peter and John, Hey! Something's happened. His body's gone. The tomb is open. Somebody's taken his body. We don't know what they've done with him. She's in a panic. She's hysterical, you could say. So Peter and John runs back with her to the bo- where to see that the body was gone. And John 23 says, Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they both, they ran both together. So the three of them ran back to the, they ran Back to the tomb to take a look at themselves, and after disciples saw the bodies were gone, though. They wondered. John wondered about the resurrection. Now was a resurrection story. I'm thinking. But they eventually leave. Mary, on the other hand, where's she going? Where's Mary going to go? So Mary stays there. She has no place to go without her Savior, and she is now disrobed. You can imagine. It says, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. Now, the sepulcher, you know, was a cave uh, room carved into limestone hillside. And there was a, uh, a slab, you know, where they carved into the rock, kind of like a shelf, where they laid the bodies. And she was hoping maybe she missed something. You know, maybe there's some clue or whatever. So as she looked in there to see what happened. And her heart was broken at the thought that someone would have been so bad to disgrace this body of her Lord to take it and take it somewhere else. Verse 12, And seeth two angels in white sitting, one at the head, the other at the feet, with the body of Jesus in the So she looked at the tomb where the body of Jesus was supposed to be and no longer seeing the body, but now she saw two angels. They were wearing white, and they were sitting. One sitting at where his feet was at, and one sitting where the head was supposed to be at. And Now, Mary must not have thought that these were angels uh, because they looked like ordinary people, evidently. They were just wearing white because she didn't recognize this spiritual bodies, or she would have said something different than what she said. Look at verse 13. And they said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? And she says to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. See, Mary didn't seem to recognize that these two were angels or as supernatural beings. Now, those the angels did not rebuke her. The angels knew the truth, and if only she knew the truth, then she would be rejoicing. See, we sometimes are saddened by things that we see because we don't see what God sees. Instead of being sad this morning, we shouldn't be rejoicing. God said, God, Jesus told them that he would rise again in three days. And three days had occurred and he had risen again. If they knew the scripture and knew the truth, they would be rejoicing, not sad. See, sometimes we are sad because we don't know the word of God, because we don't understand God's promises. See, we should rejoice in those times because we know the truth. Read the Word. Stay in the Word. If they had known the Word, if they had studied the Word, Mary would have been rejoicing. And so the angel said, why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? And she blurts out her pain. They've taken away my Lord, and I know where they've laid Him. That was a fault. She, she's right. They didn't take Him, though. <laughs> he had risen again, but she didn't know the Scriptures. Her heartache and her sorrow came from her ignorance of the word. Sometimes we are brokenhearted because we don't know the word. We don't don't get the sense of that. That's important. Reading and studying the word will help us in hard times. Verse 14. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Now that's important, by the way. So Mary turned to the tomb and saw another person in the garden. But she didn't recognize it was Jesus. Now, it's possible their eyes were blurry with tears, you know, sometimes so trying so hard you couldn't see, and it's possible that it was still somewhat dark in the morning, uh, but it's also possible that the risen Savior did not look the same as the earthly Savior. You know, indeed, he had a new body. We know he had a new body. Uh, this is not the only time, by the way, after the resurrection that the disciples failed to recognize Jesus. One, the road to, to Emmaus. Luke 24, 13-16 says, And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, called, called, um, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. And they talked together of all things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were holding that they should not know him. So see, on the road to Emmaus, the uh, Emmaus, I finally got it right. This is Johnson County, sometimes hard. The road to Emmaus, we know that these two disciples did not recognize him. We also know in the last couple weeks ago, we studied John 21 and we saw that it says when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. So we see here, it says in the scripture, whether or not the Lord's body will, and it says here in the scripture that they didn't know him. Now, whether or not Jesus's body will always have the marks of crucifixion, I can't tell you that. I've heard some people, some theologians said that was only for a short period of time to show the disciples and now he doesn't have the scars in his hand and feet. Well, I don't know that is true or not, but I know in John twenty twenty, 20, uh, it says that when he had said so, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So we know at that point in time he had the scars in his hands and his feet. Will he have it in eternity? I don't know that. I, I don't know the Bible teaches that or not, but it doesn't say he won't. I know he did at this point in time. Verse 15. Jesus said to her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom thou seekest? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith to him, Sir, if thou had borne him hence, tell me where thou had laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus repeats the same question the angel says Why are you weeping? See, because if she had known the scripture, she'd be rejoicing, not weeping. Jesus always, by the way, is concerned with our feelings, though. So he didn't rebuke her. Jesus understands, God understands that we are. Suffer things in this lifetime because we don't know the truth. Because we suffer it for ourselves because we don't read the word. We don't understand the truth. Therefore, we put ourselves through these things. But that doesn't lack Jesus' concern and passion for us. He may have also stressed the surprise that if Mary had listened to him, you know, all along, she would know there's no reason to reap but to rejoice. Now, Mary, still not recognizing Jesus, repeated her response. Uh, she assumes that this man was the gardener and therefore someone who would know who took the body away. Verse 16, Jesus said unto Mary. Jesus turns unto her, saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and said unto him, Rabboni, which is the same master. Jesus did not explain. He simply spoke her name in the manner in which he had done it so many times before. Evidently, Jesus had a way of looking at Mary and just saying, Mary, you know, Mary, or whatever. I don't know. But the tone that he used, she instantly knew that was her Lord. Instantly. He simply spoke her name, in which he does so many times. When Jesus speaks to us, we know his voice. In John ten twenty seven, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they followed me." See, she knew his voice. We know the truth. When we hear Jesus, we know it's Jesus' Word. When we read the scripture, we know it's Jesus. When we hear preachers preach the gospel and his true preaching of the gospel, we hear his voice. We hear his voice being uttered through the voices of those who proclaim the truth. You today are hearing the Word of God. You're hearing Jesus' voice through what I'm telling you because I'm telling you what the Word says. So you hear Jesus' voice. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. See, Mary addressed Jesus with this title that she'd used so many times. Rabboni is a variation of the title rabbi. It means my teacher. So Mary looks up at him, when he says, Mary. She says, my my teacher? My honored teacher. Teacher, my honored teacher. Verse 17. Jesus said to her, Touch me not, for I'm not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brother and say unto them, I ascend unto my father, and your father, and to my God, and to your God. Jesus said, Don't touch me. Now this was probably, by the way, I don't think, referring to physical touching of Jesus. Still it's more relating to her wanting him to stay with her. Don't go anywhere, stay with me. Oh Lord, oh Lord, I'm glad you're here. Never leave me again, type of thing. And Jesus said, hold on. I'm not finished yet. I'm not yet ascended to my father. I'm going to go to the father. I've risen from the dead. I've ascended into pits. I've come out. I've not gone to the father yet. And I got to go. He's not negotiating his departure. He said, but go to the brethren and say to them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. So instead of clinging to him, God gives Jesus gives Mary a task to go. Jesus gives us that task today. We get saved. We can't just cling to him. We can't just cling to that promise of the of coming. We gotta go and tell other people. Mary was told immediately, you know I'm resurrected. What are you doing waiting here? What are you doing standing here, Jesus said. Go back to my brethren and tell them what you've seen. Update them on what's going on. Tell them that I am ascended to the Father, to my God and to your God. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. Mary Magdalene did exactly what Jesus told her to do. She simply gives them the facts as she experienced them you know witnessing is really simple tell what you know tell tell them how it impacted you and then tell it how it can impact them right tell them what you know tell them how it impacted you and then tell them how it can impact them mary was a witness the first command that jesus did when he rose from the dead was to tell mary to go, right? Did you not? But go to my father. Go to my father. Go to my brother. Go. You know, Jesus has a place for all those that desire to serve him. God's word shows us that one always that, that anyone can play a huge part in God's plan to win the lost. Anyone, that all of us, has the ability to play a part. We all need to be ready, willing, and able to serve him in the hard times, just like we do in the good times. Mary Magdalene made a difference. She committed her life. She was miraculously changed. And then she shared that change. She loved Jesus so much that she did exactly what she needed to do. And she was seeking ways to serve him in the hard times and the good times. And because of that, God rewarded her greatly by giving her the privilege of being the first to see him in his resurrected body. If you're not saved today, I pray that today be the day that you turn your life over to him. Don't allow Satan to control your life, but allow God to do that. And if you're a Christian today, be like Mary. Share your truth. Hard times or good times. Share the truth. Go to the brethren and tell them what you know, what it meant to you, and what it can mean to them. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity we have that we can study your word. I thank you, Lord, for the life of Mary Magdalene. Lord, how she, after being saved, loved you, where she was willing to sacrifice all, where she was not satisfied with worshiping afar. But Lord, help us to be like her, willing to go, willing to serve, hard times or good times so that others might come to know you as their Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.